Hello, welcome back. It is week 64 on Out on That Line podcast. I'm Jeff with my co-host, Alex. As always, Alex, how are you doing this week? I am firing on all cylinders, Jeff. I have been eagerly awaiting this album, this episode. I'm ready to rip into it like a child on Christmas. Hell yeah. Well, what what do you say we just get right into it? Let's just do away with all the bullshit at the beginning of the episodes that we normally do. What the people want is they want to hear about Mitski. And her new album, Laurel Hell, just came out last Friday. Um, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. We were waiting with bated breath for this album. Mitski has been... I don't think we've done a Mitski album on this show. We've talked about her plenty, but I don't think we've done a true no. Mitski dedicated episode yet. This is the first. Um, this album, Laurel Hell, you know, I think... Everybody was so excited for it because Mitski had retired, right? She had announced, she's like, I'm done making music. I've got other things I want to do with my life. But I think what you find out is her best way of expressing herself, which is something she needs to do, is done through music. You know, people have are given certain talents, and I'm sure there's plenty of other things that she's plenty good at. Maybe she's a great painter, she's a great drawer, you know, great writer, whatever it might be. But music is where she made her bones. Music is kind of where she found the biggest audience to express herself. And I think it just makes sense that if continuing to express yourself is something you want to do, you pick the best medium for yourself to do that with. And so she came back. And how long was the break? Like five years since her last album, right? Uh, Be the Cowboy came out in 2018. Yeah, four years. Okay. Uh, maybe probably a little less than four. We're still just in February in 2022. But... Um, you know, I didn't think I was going to see a Mitski album again. You know, I thought she's always been very, very much like dedicated in what she does. When So when she said she was done, I was like, I got no reason not to believe that. Um, so when I heard this was coming out, just blew my mind. I was like, hell yeah, let's go. Couldn't wait for it to come out. As soon as it came out that day, I was listening to it. And I, I think this album, there was a lot of other people that felt the same way we did. I actually got this album two days early i got to take a little crack at this sneak i went to a local record shop and i won't out these people because i got a teenage clerk who had clearly been working there for like a week and i don't i think be the cowboy was released on vinyl i think you can get limited editions of bury me at makeout creek Mm -hmm. and uh, uh puberty two but I, so I walked in and I was like, hey, do you have any Mitski? And he goes, well, we just got the new one. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, it's Wednesday, my man. I don't think you can sell this to me yet. Maybe they can. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I mean, you can't get it on Spotify early. So you got to figure they're not supposed yeah. to sell it to you until the day it comes out. But I just took that and said, yoink, thank you. I bought Lingua Ignota Center Get Ready and uh, was <laughs> on my way. I absconded with my prize and I listened to it that night with Tanner. And I had a weird experience with it because we were listening okay. to it, headphones on, listening to it on vinyl. I'm, I'm locked and loaded. And the more it went on, I was like, wow, this is really not the Mitski that I've grown to be very fond of. Um, Bury Me at Makeout Creek is my all-time favorite. It's just because her first two albums that she made when she was at SUNY Purchase were like very classical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she just broke away from that. And created this like frenetic punk folk indie sound that's like the song Townie off of that just smashes mm-hmm. you in the fucking face. I love that song so much. Um, I should do a singles video on that. But I I was kind of expecting like her sound has changed over the years, but not as drastically as from Be the Cowboy to Laurel Hell. I was also getting shellacked in PGA on the Xbox while I was listening. (laughs) So I think maybe I was a little salty while this was all happening. And it got done, and I was like, it's good. It's undeniably good. But I don't know if I love it. And that bums Mm -hmm. me out, because I was all excited to get this album, and I could, like, dropping the needle on it was, like, a big moment for me. I'm such a fucking goober. And I was like, damn, dude, I don't know. I I have mixed emotions. But then when it came out Friday on Spotify, and I just kept hammering it, Every single time I was like, okay, damn, there's more to like, there's more to like, there's mm-hmm. more to like, there's more to like. And it just kept building. So by now, I'm fucking obsessed. This is such a fucking tremendous album. Yeah, this was every bit worth the wait for me. Um, <clears throat> now, I I skewed way more towards 
um, the Be the Cowboy album for me. I think it this I think this had a lot more in common with Be the Cowboy than anything else she had done previous to that. Um, so that's why I really enjoyed this one a lot because it w- more matched up with why I liked Mitski. And we'll get into more of the specific songs and kind of why, for those specific reasons, we I really enjoyed this one. But I was, you know, I think I had a better impression of it right off the bat than you did because I think we listened to it in a different instance. If I was getting my my ass handed to me on a platter in a video game that I'm supposed to be good at, you know, I I wouldn't be that happy about it. And whatever else was going on around me, like whatever sensory things were happening, I was going to have a negative opinion of those because they were happening at a negative time in my life. Um, so I li- we listened to it just in the house. We were, I think we were cleaning, so we just put it on the speaker. So I got a much different experience with it. And then subsequent listens, like when I put my headphones on, really dug into it and read the lyrics, I was like, this is, she's just as good as ever, if not better than ever. Um, You know, I think maybe she's got a little less anger than she used to have. And now it's more of like a kind of a perspective thing on life rather than direct attacks, like a lot of stuff had been in the past. But it really, um, to me, I think it was a much more grown up album, you know, seemed like a longer time than it was. I mean, a four hour time period between albums is not crazy, you know, but it seemed longer because she had retired and you really didn't think you were going to get anything else. Um, so I think it's, you know, we can keep talking on and on about kind of the generalities of this album and, and kind of what we thought about it, but it's probably best. Let's just get right into the songs. Um, the first one that we picked from the album, and it wasn't a very long album, so you're getting a good chunk of the songs on this album. It was only about 32 minutes. We picked six of the songs. So you're probably getting, I don't know, half to two thirds of the album with this. Um, so the first one working for the knife um, was the first pick from the album. And this one was one of yours, Alex. Yeah. I really love this album as it comes on the heels of be the cowboy because be the cowboy was kind of Mitski telling stories rather than getting personal. The rest of her music up to that point had been, uh, like you said, there was a lot of very angry, emotional content, and it was a great window into what Mitski's artistic sensibilities were, and she wasn't necessarily a storyteller so much as she was sharing raw emotions with us. Um, So Be the Cowboy kind of put up a distance between the listener and the material by telling stories in vignette. And Mitski's always had a very adversarial relationship with her fans. Not like she's shitty to them, but the phenomenon of having fans that are as rabid as hers are fucks with her. And there's that goes hand in hand with the whole thesis behind this album, which is you retire from music. It's a soft retirement, but it's a retirement. And you think that you can go on to have a different life, but then you find out that music is really what you were made to do and you miss it. But if you return to it, it's going to kill you. And Mm -hmm. it's just like all these layers of irony and angst wrapped up in one another. And to me, working for the knife is the thesis statement of the album. It's embrace the darkness, embrace the suck. And let's explore some of the things that I've been feeling. I'm, I'm letting my guard down from be the cowboy and I'm going to let you back into what my headspace has cooking. And working for the knife was really the, the again, the thesis statement of this album to me. And I think this was a very good introduction, I think, because obviously it has to be acknowledged that she had retired, you know, and I put that in air quotes. You know, obviously it had to be acknowledged that that had taken place and, and some explanation was necessary, whether... You know, doesn't necessarily have to be in the music. Could have been just a statement that she came out with just saying why she came back. But this song, I think, in place of any sort of official press conference, whatever she might have done, you know, I think this does just as good a job announcing that. You know, it's it always talking about that pressure that she had to always create, you know, and I think that's the curse of an artist as well as, you know, a blessing is while they have the ability to create and express themselves in a way that, you know, at this level, someone that talented can do it in a way that the normal person can't do. You know, the normal person can't express themselves that way. But it's also a curse because then you're almost kind of required to do that, right? You know, when you have, like you said, if music is what you do best and who you are, 
you know, I can see where she struggles with that because <clears throat> for me, picking up a guitar has always been a choice. You know, that was never going to be the way that I made my career. That, that was never the way that I was going to change the world. Um, it was just something I enjoyed doing. And I think for her, it's different. You know, obviously she enjoys creating music, but with all that pressure of having to please a label, you know, having to sell a certain amount of records to consider yourself having expressed yourself successfully, you know, that's kind of a fucked up thing too, right? Is you're, you've only considered yourself to ex having expressed your emotions successfully if you make a lot of money from it. You know, I think that's a really kind of fucked up headspace to always have to be in is you have to create these things to make a living, but now you've got to like expose yourself more and more and more as time goes on to make it continue to be relatable. You know, and I think that's, I think she saw that coming down the pike and didn't want to be around for that. You know, she'd rather burn out than fade away. You know, the kind of that classic, um, you know, she doesn't want to just get old, keep making music that doesn't connect with people anymore. She's like, it has to say something, but there, it's always that balance. It's double-edged sword. You know, you got to take it out of yourself <clears throat> to have some success in that business. And so she's kind of, this song I think is being like, okay, well I'm forced to do this. I guess I'm just going to do it. It's no longer like trying to deny it. It's like, we're just going to do this. I got to live with the knife. So we might as well take advantage of it. And you talk about the, ch the choice you make to pick up a guitar. She even says in the lyrics of this song, it was always my choice. I just made the wrong one. And after all the sacrifices she made to get to where she is, putting in the blood, sweat and tears, giving up relationships, not having a permanent residence, like really going all in on the dream to achieve it and then go, okay, it feels really good to express myself, but the rest of this shit is scary. Having to work under the pressure of a label, all those things you said. This shit is terrifying that the thing that I love is preventing me from loving it. Like, figure that mm -hmm. one out. Um, and that there are a lot of parallels to herself, especially on this album where she talks in several songs that we'll get to about not being an inherently unlovable person, but being emotionally distant and hard to get to know. And again, that plays into a lot of her fan interaction and the way she does press and stuff. It would be easy to categorize Mitski as a misanthrope and a pretentious asshole. I think just because of some of the sound bites and stuff, I personally do not subscribe to that. Then again, I am a Frank Zappa guy. I give him a huge pass. He was a <laughs> giant asshole, but I'm like, oh, he was brilliant. He can do whatever he wants. I don't think Mitski's an asshole. I think she is truly a tortured artist, as much as you may want to call that a trope. I think it applies mm -hmm. to her. And um, the thing also that I think, so we can, we can get off working for the knife if you don't have more, and I'll end with this for mm -hmm. my sentiments on it. The choice to incorporate New Wave as the overarching sound on this album threw a lot of people. This album was really well-reviewed, but the choice to steer into New Wave threw a lot of people. It threw me at mm -hmm. first. And I love New Wave, but at first I was like, what the fuck? But I, the more I think about it, I'm like, it's a brilliant choice because New Wave, there are so many like upbeat bops, but then you like really strip back and you're like, the sound is inherently very sad and very dark. I mean, synth wave, mm -hmm. New Wave, Dark Wave are just, you know, kissing cousins, basically. And it's an inherently kind of mournful sound. And then a lot of these songs that sound really fun are dark as fuck. So mm -hmm. I think Laurel Hell getting lost in the woods, right? I think that, that New Wave was a perfect choice for this album to express this. Yes. And I happen to love New Wave. Not like fuck just yeah. the synth pop music of the 80s. I mean, it's just... <clears throat> there was so much of that on this album. And I think that's why I liked it so much is because I've... I've always felt like Mitski, like her ballads, you know, her slower songs, I've always enjoyed those. But when Mitski gets ripping, that's when I like her the best. Like Mitski bops are what I came for. And you'll notice the theme with the songs that I picked. It's because they're all bops. And this, the next one is Stay Soft. And this one is the first kind of bop on the album. And again, it's just like you said, it's very dark lyrics, though. You know, the, the pre-chorus, open up your heart like the gates of hell. You know, it's like we know what we're getting into by doing this, but we're going to do it anyway. You know, and I think it's it's a very mature perspective, you know, because it's all has to do with her like going back. Oh, it's funny. It's fitting that we do this after the meatloaf episode. It's about her going back into hell here. 
Mm. You know, it's like, all right, well, I got to put, you know, she's lacing up her boots. You know, she's putting her hard hat on. She's like, I got to go get these emotions out of me. The way I know how to do it is I got to get down in this deep, dark cave and make some music for a while and then I'll be okay. And this song is, is kind of, I feel like a little bit more scattered than working for the knife as far as, you know, kind of where it goes. But as far, it's a very, like the way the verse comes out, you know, fury, pure and silver, you grip it tight inside like a knife. So there's, you know, that kind of thematic, you know, it's story that she has going on, like working for the knife and then talking about a literal knife, you know, in the, in the next song that we're talking about here, it's like all these very physical, like physical objects she uses as metaphors, like hanging over her things that she's using to express how she's feeling. You know, I think she kind of humanizes a lot of inanimate objects to like express what she's doing. You think of a knife, it's like, it's sharp, it's pointy, it'll cut you, you know? And I think that's the emotion that she's trying to display is that it's, you have to be careful when you're dealing with these kind of emotions. Um, in the chorus, when she says, you stay soft, get beaten, only natural to harden up. You stay soft, get eaten, only natural to harden up. It's like as, as much as you want to stay um, kind of vulnerable and innocent and, you know, when, when dealing in this life and all these emotions and everything, the, the harder you want to do that, the less you're going to be able to, you know, it's, only natural that you have to just kind of harden up and stop letting those things affect you. And I think there's so many acknowledgements of her past as well as where she needs to go in the future. Um, that is just done so well that she, I don't ever feel like she's straddling the line. She's just on both sides of it at once. You know, it's not that she's trying to be, it's like she's serving both masters very, very well. Well, it's funny you say things like straddle and master because for once you picked the fuck song. <laughs> I picked the other one too. Yeah. I, <laughs> This is a great example of the revelation that I had about Mitski. So again, Mitski, ha- I- I, maybe it's not appropriate to say adversarial, but she has an uncomfortable relationship with her fanhood because they're rabid. And a lot of them have what you might call a parasocial relationship to Mitski. And that is exemplified in a quotation where she's talking about a show where someone screamed out, I love you, and she said back, you don't know me and piggybacking off what I said on the meatloaf episode last week, when an artist dies and you mourn them, it's, and people go, well, why do you care? You didn't know them. It's like, no, I did through their music, through their art. And Mitski is kind of the exception that proves the rule because she's right. We don't know her and she's giving us this art that's ostensibly like born out of her. But, The twist for me is, oh, you're right. We don't know her. She knows us. She is singing about very universal experiences. She is taking feelings that we all have and taking the shame and stigma away from them. Like this song is about when you're emotionally damaged and you sublimate those impulses for you try to take your loneliness and and your dark thoughts and isolation and you sublimate them into sexual contact, meaningless sexual episodes. And, you know, she herself says, like, it's not the healthiest impulse, but I'm not passing judgment because we all fucking do it. And that to Mm -hmm. me is why people love her so much because she speaks to all of us because she's not necessarily handing us her perspective. It's ours. And this song is so perfect with that. And, And it's these great musical touches too we're talking a lot about theme but i love the way in the part where she's clearly talking about jerking off she's face down you know (laughs) stick her hand underneath her weight um do you have those exact lyrics on you yes i am face down on my bed still not quite awake yet thinking of you i tuck my hand under my weight the thing that i love during that line which is like what a spicy line is that the the song has this like heartbeat in that moment boom boom mm-hmm. boom boom and there are these little flourishes i don't know if it's synth or what it must be that just have this kind of like squishy sound to them like not trying to be overly gross but i listen to it and it's like <laughs> damn she really is kind of making a whole soundscape she paints images so well with the music mm-hmm. and the words she's a melody and lyrics person first but uh, Patrick Highland, her longtime collaborator, producer, 
has a great knack for layering in that stuff that just makes the song come alive. This mm-hmm. is such a fucking jam. Yeah. Yeah, this one is this one's very representative of of what I like the most about Mitski. And the reason like we went and saw her um for the ACL live show that she did, which I think is on YouTube. And so people can watch and and the audience can confirm here. She basically just kind of like had sex with the stage. She had a table on stage. <laughs> she basically just had sex with that for the entire like hour performance, hour and 10 minutes, whatever it was. Um, but the performance itself was incredible. I mean, she played a lot of her more like upbeat songs. Obviously, it's a live performance. I think that's what a lot of artists choose to do. Uh, but the way that you could tell she was like not even like the audience wasn't even there to her. You know, you could just tell, you know, the performance was what she was there for. You know, it wasn't necessarily that she cared that, you know, I don't know how many people fit in there, 2,000 maybe. I don't know. It's not a huge, massive venue, but it's a, one of the bigger ones in Austin for for kind of independent artists. Um, but she definitely just, like, loses herself in the performance, which seeing that, and this had to be 2018 or so. I mean, this was several years ago. Um, seeing that. You can just kind of tell when an artist is absolutely and totally committed to what they're trying to put across to you. And that was the the nothing. I never got any other sense than that was that she was absolutely, totally committed to making sure that her voice is heard, you know, that her emotions are expressed the way that she needs to express them so that she can be done at the end of the show and feel like she's accomplished something. And, you know, there's not, I'm sure tons of artists are like that there's not a lot that I've seen that really seem to connect so well with the audience while not connecting with them at all. You know, you could tell that's not what she was there for, but I think because of that, everybody just felt so connected to her through the music, you know, and it, it, I felt like she was like, this is the conduit I'm willing to give you to have access to me. So, you know, this is the only thing you're going to get. And I, so I think when you zero in that much, it's, and when that is the only way that she wants to express herself to you, you know, in a public manner, like that's what you have to accept. And she's so good at channeling that and making you understand through that small little conduit, like making you understand every bit of why she wrote these songs, why she felt the way she felt when she wrote them and how she wants you to feel when you hear them. You know, I don't know that last part. She probably doesn't even mean to, but it's like, I feel like the emotion matched with everybody it felt like this like kind of weird vibe that you had with everybody in there that we were feeling exactly the way that she was making us feel and i think that's a great distinction to like real quick to finish this one out it's a great distinction she does not have disdain for her fans i think she trusts us and respects us enough as hokey as that might sound to maintain that distance and not worry about hurting our feelings because she's obviously you don't create in a vacuum and she needs us yeah. to, to you know, feed her her art and her livelihood. But I, I think it's a it's a misnomer to say she has disdain for her fans. She definitely keeps the fans at a distance. But again, not out of distrust for them. It's out of distrust for the phenomenon, which is to be famous and to have people grabbing at you on stage. Like that's you know, a lot of people with rock star dreams are like, yeah. I want I want to crowd surf and all that stuff. And it's like at that point, that's just people that want to possess you. They love what you're doing, Mm -hmm. but they want to fucking possess you. They feel very entitled to you and what you do. I don't Mm -hmm. mean to say like, oh, Mitski fans are toxic, but they are rabid, 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 rabid. I mean, like Taylor Swift and BTS levels of rabid, which is great that she inspires that kind of passion. But I can see where that would be kind of alarming for her as well. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a certain kind of person to be to really wear that coat and be comfortable in it. And I think that's very few and far between that mm-hmm. people are going to be absolutely comfortable with being that all the time. Um, but the next song, Heat Lightning, this one was one of your picks. So I picked this instead of uh, a couple other songs, even though it doesn't really demonstrate my point, which is you haven't seen Twin Peaks, right? Uh, I watched the first season. Okay. You know the theme song then? Yeah. Angelo Badalamenti, uh, longtime David Lynch collaborator. This is a David Lynch song. This is something I could see him going to Angelo Badalamenti and being like, I want you to write a song 
or someone who hasn't slept in days. That's essentially what we're getting here is another one of those soundscapes that Mitski is great at creating. The imagery and the lyrics on this mm-hmm. one is fucking astounding that she can say so much with with so little, just the gentlest brush strokes. It's right in the sweet spot where it's not mm-hmm. super on the nose and it and clunky and it's not way out there esoteric putting a hat on a hat flowery. It's right down the middle in the most satisfying mm-hmm. way possible. And to me, the really smart thing that this song does that typifies Mitski's great instincts. There is always one element in her songs that is hanging on, keeping a straight beat, moving the song forward. One element. It could be a guitar, a piano, usually not her vocals, drums, something that is is marching to a beat, keeping the mm-hmm. song on the rails so that the rest of it can get kind of loose and not sloppy, but it, it can swing. Tanner and Zach and I and a bunch of our friends went to see Corey Wong and the Wong Notes last week. And mm-hmm. that is a very technical, tight group. I mean, they're they're funk all the way. So it's all these musicians who have to be tight together. But it still swings by the nature of it mm-hmm. being funk. But it's very technically tight. And I like that Miski puts one element in there to kind of build everything around and then lets herself get kind of loose. Like the, the mm-hmm. guitars on Working for the Knife, that that kind of loose off kilter yeah. sound again very david lynch very angelo battlementi where you're just barely keeping a hold on it and that's why i was like i gotta go with heat lightning i gotta go with it i gotta do it yeah yep i think songwriting wise <clears throat> this one is among the best on the album as far as just kind of the picture that it paints you know the way that that she structures everything i think this one is really really strong um, and the kind of narrative part of verse one, like heat lightning running outside the window. I've laid awake since one and now it's four o'clock though. I've held on, can't carry it much longer on the ceiling. Dancing are the things all come and gone. So it's this, everybody can kind of put themselves there when you like really can't sleep. The thoughts are dancing around your head. I think, you know, on the ceiling, dancing are the things all come and gone. I think that's kind of like the personification of those thoughts or like, you know, making physical form of the thoughts that are bouncing around your head. That's kind of the sense that I, that I got from that. Um, and it's very like, it's a very like Springsteen-esque kind of thing. It's very dancing in the dark, you know, kind of style songwriting as far as that goes. Cause it's very much like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Like it's very ABAB kind of structure, but that's good for Mitski because it's, there has to be some like real continuity, right? You can't just be totally off the wall that's how you get like Frank Zappa or like King Gizzard. You know, it's like everything is totally off the wall all the time. It's hard to find a thread to follow. But she does exactly what you say is like she gives you threads. You know, she's like, okay, it's going to get a little stormy here. Here's this rope to hang on to, you know, to make sure that you're kind of guided through the song. And I think on this one, the way that she writes the lyrics, it's very easy to follow it in kind of narrative sense. Um, and it it's allows you to put yourself in her shoes to kind of take you through the rest of the album as well. Yeah, I just I saying that it's like a rope to hang on to is a great visual for it. It's just like that that little tugboat in the dark that's just going to make sure that you get from A to B and it allows for all that experimentation around it. Uh I and this it just it swings. It's a very mm-hmm. like low-key contemplative song and then it does the classic Mitski where it bursts in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um and I like that. I like those little emotional outbursts. Like when you can't sleep, there are moments where you're just kind of lying there and then you get fucking mad and, and rile yourself up more <laughs> yeah. and try to come back down. So again, she's the the master of, of, of creating a very visceral feeling and sensory experience with her music. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was a good one. Um, and the next one that we're going to talk about, the only heartbreaker. Another of yours. Yes. I believe mine were all in a clump this time. Yes. Um, so this one, interesting. It's the first time she's ever taken on a co-writer. Dan Wilson, who's worked with The Chicks, uh, I believe Adele. It's more classic Mitski thematically. Mm-hmm. Assigning blame is the big theme here. And it's, it's interesting because it's multi-layered because... Mitski in this scenario is taking on the role of the villain, right? 
okay, yep. well, I guess I'll be the heartbreaker. I'll be the bad guy. I'll be the one that's constantly taking the L here. But then a more insidious revelation comes as we progress into the second verse of the song, which is, well, maybe I'm the bad guy because I'm the only one trying in this situation, mm-hmm. which makes the other person the asshole. Ironically, it's like, I guess I'm not the only heartbreaker because at least when I fuck up, it's because I'm trying. You're not even putting any effort into this. And again, I like that it doesn't take her nine fucking verses and too many words to say that. You just, you get it through the emotion of the music and how direct she is with the lyrics. It is perfect Mitski. Yes. And I think that is such a good way of kind of looking at it, that perspective of it being, you know, if you're playing both parts, you know, then you have to be the bad guy as well once in a while. You know, it's like a a single parent is going to have to be the bad guy once in a while because sometimes you need the bad guy. there. If there's no... If there's no two separate people to play good cop and bad cop, somebody's going to have to play both. And I think that's such a good perspective on looking at this. Um, I think it's also, there's some like malicious intent with it as well. It's not, you know, it's not totally like a self-centered, like, oh, I guess if you're not going to try, I have to, I'll be the heartbreaker. It's the bridge that tells me that because it says, I apologize, you forgive me. I apologize, you forgive me. It makes me feel like, okay, it's this cycle. So... How even though maybe you're like, okay, I guess I got to play the bad guy too. Well, that's kind of a manipulative thing to say. Like you could just be the good guy and be the better person and just cut it off and walk away. You know, so it's like, but you're continuing to also participate in this as much as you try to lay the blame on the other person for not participating. This is why you have to act like this. It sounds an awful lot like, why do you make me yell at you, Alex? (laughs) Why do you make me hit you? It's true. There's there's honestly kind of a, a, reflect, a refreshingly honest admission of gaslighting almost in this, mm-hmm. I, you know, and it's interesting because, I mean, I don't want to talk in absolutes, but typically in a lot of, of uh, like, especially indie female songwriters, it's usually about how they've been gaslit. But Mitski is admitting to being difficult and being kind of an asshole. And there's a concept in psychiatry, the communicating from the triangle of fear the three points are the attacker the fixer manipulator controller and the victim and mitski mm-hmm. slides between all three during the course of this song fuck you you don't give me the the attention that i need i'm a victim because i'm constantly being made to be the bad guy but i can like you said manipulate this by being like oh i apologize i'm sorry she's just sliding all around that triangle of fear mm-hmm. and I doubt that's what she had in mind when she did it, but I it's a concept that immediately popped out to me listening to this song, and I'm like, no song should be this, have this many complex facets to it, and be this eminently danceable. This is <laughs> yeah. so fucking fun. It's so big and dreamy, very Smiths, very Cure, um, mm-hmm. really steering into that new wave aesthetic and that driving dancing beat. I mean, this one's a fucking certified platinum bop. Yeah, this, I mean, it gave me the same kind of feeling as like Mr. Brightside, Mm. you know, where it's like this, it's a bop, you know, it's, it's gets your foot tapping, you know, it's, it's a jam, but you listen to the lyrics and you're like, well, this is kind of fucked up. Yeah. They're getting their heart broken. You know what I mean? It's like that, that juxtaposition of like really happy peppy you know, that 120 beats per minute or whatever, 128 beats, whatever that perfect like disco beat kind of kind of beat is. Um, you know, it's that marriage of that with some really melancholy kind of subject matter, you know, and I think there's so, so many artists that have done that really well. And Mitski just adding her name to the list. You know, she's getting her name engraved on that cup right alongside everybody else. Well, should we get to the one? Oh, yeah. The bop, the number one heavy hitter, the jet flying, limousine riding, Rolex wearing, kiss stealing, Woo! love me more, son of a gun. Let's do it. Start it. Kick Let's us off. Let's do baby. it. Love me more. I had to get, so love me more is why I had to get my picks in early. That's why I sent them yesterday, yeah. which is definitely earlier than, than we usually do, because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I need to, I need to get my hands on this one. Um, so not only did I pick stay soft. Yeah, one of the one of the nookie songs. I also picked Love Me More. 
which could be even more. I, maybe it's a little more blatant <laughs> about being a Nookie song. I think uh, just the, you know the the title itself, "Love Me More." It is exactly what you think it's going to be. Um, but God damn the the bop, Ooh. the dancing. The I mean, just the heartbeat in this song is so like virile. It is incredible. You know, I think this song is why this album is going to be a success, even though there's a ton of other really great songs on this one. I mean, this song, I feel like, has to take over the world. I mean, it is every bit of, like, Mitski's big, soaring, melodic voice with, like, a Dua Lipa-level, like, club banger beat behind her. It is awesome. That, and it's, she's getting a lot of comparisons, negatively and positively, uh, with what The Weeknd did with Don FM. Where a lot of people are like, oh, if it hadn't come out so close to Dawn FM, this would be seen as like very novel. And then I personally fall into the camp of, I think it's great that we got these two so close together because he's doing something totally different from her, first of all. Um, but and, and no one owns the patent on reviving that sound. I mean, he was definitely doing way more of a like 80s, very synth heavy, danceable sound and she's steering again into that kind of melancholic new wave. But again, it's so eminently danceable. When that chorus kicks in, it's just chugging along. And embarrassingly, I've been walking around my house just being like, fill me up, fill me up. <laughs> Can you imagine how many children are probably, because there's probably so many indie parents that have listened to Mitski for years, and they have young kids now. And these kids are probably running around. I'm just going to read the chorus to the people out there if they haven't heard this song. I need you to love me more. Love me more. Love me more. Love enough to fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up. And there's a few different ways to interpret that, obviously. Um, But both ways that I interpret it, are neither one is uh neither one is a uh something you want to talk about in church i guess i'll i'll put it that way they're they're talking about fucking yeah so whatever she's talking about getting filled up with you take your pick and i think you'll be right because it's whatever you know leave it to the imagination it's whatever you want it to be and for me for once and this will shock you and the listening audience but i definitely went into the romantic love aspect of it and she's a very self-sufficient person who isn't a stranger to isolation has a complicated relationship with being alone and in this song is finally ready to accept external validation i need you to love me i'm willing to accept it so it it you know we joke but it absolutely can work on those two levels the the ecstasy of you know getting a little chingle chingle and then also just genuinely opening yourself up to romantic love it's the great trick that Mitski pulls where, you, can... you know, I normally don't disagree with you on this show, you know, because music is it's, you know, it's all about perspective. You know, it's what it means to you. But I'm just going to point out a couple lyrics here. <laughs> and I think she's talking about there's no uh, there's no uh, existential, you know, feelings or anything like that going on here. Here's my hand. There's the itch but I'm not supposed to scratch. Come back to mind. We'll pretend it ends tomorrow. How do other people live? I wonder how they keep it up. Not getting the nookie. When today is finally done, there's another day to come. There's another day to come. Then another day to come back to mind. We'll pretend it ends tomorrow. I'm just going to, I think she's, this is a heat seeking missile on one target here. Is all I'm saying. See, and I think it's a have your cake and eat it too situation because that there's another day <laughs> and another day and another day. Like that is very sad to me. Again, in this very like danceable song, steering into the new wave way of, of making you sad while you're tapping your toe. Just like there will be another day and a day after that and a day after that. And when you're someone who has struggled with her purpose for as long as Mitski has and as intensely as she has, that is a terrifying thought. Like I got to wake up tomorrow and I got to wake up every day after that for an indeterminate amount of time. And I love that one turn where it's like, I will be a new girl that like 
flip, mm-hmm. that little like minor flip right there. Oh, mm, 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 mm. what a hook. Yeah, she is. She can write like a pop song. Like she can write the hell out of a pop song. That's for sure. Yeah. Great at writing every other kind of song that she does as well. But her pop songs, when she, I mean, nobody, that song is like an earworm, an absolute earworm. And it's like, there's, it, she says the word nobody so many times in it. But when you sing it in your head, it makes sense exactly how she does it. Like when you go listen to that again, you know, you've been singing it the right way. Cause she just constructs songs. I think with everything in the right place that makes it all very, very memorable. Like it fits when you're listening to it. It's like, Oh yeah, that's right where that's supposed to be. And so it just ingrains itself in your memory. She's so good at making, you know, very kind of basic pop structures, but then really painting with her own brush everything outside of it but it's all got that that main backbone that main spine that holds it all together and then she just kind of goes nuts with the rest of it and the last song we're going to talk about is another bop should have been me um this one i think skews like the furthest into like that new wave you know and so that like when i heard this one i was like yeah this is like if love me more didn't exist this would probably have been my favorite song on the album just because it's Again, lyrics, I think we're a lot more in depth than Love Me More was. Um, it's just a much more kind of vulnerable song as well, I think. You know, the verse, well, I went through my list of friends and found I had no one to tell of this overwhelming, clean feeling, strange serenity. So she's done all this work. She's kind of improved herself and found out more about herself and all these things. But now she realizes that she's done all this alone. And how is she going to express this to people that haven't? been aware of what she's been doing you know and I think that's a concern with anybody coming out of any whether it's like just a self-imposed you know retirement you know kind of extricated yourself from social media from music from all that whether it's that or coming out of like rehab for the first time or coming out of some you know a long term you've been away for a long time there's a lot of different ways that these feelings can apply and I think that's another really good thing that she does is not getting so specific about a place or a time or anything like that in her songs. And she always leaves it just open-ended enough where these things can apply to you in whatever it is you've been dealing with, you know, and I think that's something, whether that's intentional or just the way she naturally writes is a really, really important thing with continuing to kind of grow in her music and continue to put things out as good as this. Yeah. As long as she maintains the universality of what she's talking about, she's going to always hit. Mm-hmm. So it was very weird to see people who had like a negative to lukewarm reaction to this album. And granted, I was someone who had like a very confusing first reaction as well. I think you can blame it on less than optimal conditions. Um, but again, that thought for me was like, oh, man, I'm used to a way different sound. I'm I'm used to her taking way different chances this is I don't I don't really know what to do with this. And then you have that realization. You're like, well, from her first two albums to bury me at Makeout Creek, there was a huge paradigm shift. And you lauded that. She's someone who likes to reinvent herself little by little. So why would you be surprised that this is a, a another paradigm shift? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were like, Ugh, it moved into a bullshit pop direction. And this song specifically is being cited as her burying her talent under a lot of artifice and a lot of the instrumentation and production choices are very stark that ting, 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 Mm -hmm. ting. And this one is so fruity loop studio. It, it smashes you in the face, but it's not unenjoyable. It is ornamentation because this song needs it because it's honestly kind of, once again, a very sad kind of, fucked up song that I believe she said was originally like written stylistically as a grunge tune. And then it kind of morphed into this. So it wasn't quite so bitter. And I like that born in the USA kind of trick where you walk into it and you listen to it and get one idea, but it's really something else entirely. And the first note I had on this was hello, Holland Oates. Because it's, I mean, that that man-eater bass is right at boom, 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 to boom, boom, ba-da. Mm-hmm. It's just in there and riding the whole time. And I think it's appropriate because this is a, a 
tongue-in-cheek song about being emotionally unavailable and kind of chewing people up and spitting them out. So why wouldn't you use the baseline from Maneater? And why wouldn't you structure this as this kind of sumptuous 80s song where you're playing the the role of seductress, but it's not necessarily a feel-good, positive thing? There's a lot of, of of guilt attached to it as well. So, again, she'll make you dance while laying this egg in your brain that hatches into, like, what is my life? What am I doing? Why am yeah. I continuing to hurt myself so? <laughs> and I, I think it's just such a good, like you were saying, she walled herself off. You know, so now she's looking at this person that has found someone that, you know, they were looking for something kind of specific. She fulfilled all those things except for the being available to provide all those things to another person. You know, it's like she checked all the boxes except for the most important one so that you got to be willing to take that step with someone. And so now she's seeing, and, and I think this is a, instead of being angry about it, which she could have been, she's like, Oh, you just went and found someone new that looked like me. You know, it's, I think acknowledging that it's kind of her fault that it didn't work out, you know, that she, in, in not saying that she should have like known better, you know, but she was going through what she went through. The timing was wrong for them to work out at that point. So now they've moved on to somebody else and clearly they have, you know, an interest in a certain kind of person. So, you know, it doesn't, doesn't baffle. It's doesn't, shouldn't baffle you that they would end up with someone like her. Um, and I think that is part of the aging process where she would have taken those, you know, basically fired a homing missile at people, lyrically before you know now i think she's willing to be like well how much of me is part of this equation like how much have i caused this to be the way that it is and i think that's such a a good sign of somebody that probably is growing up you know emotionally becoming a lot more mature but also just generally finding out more about themselves so that they have more to access for their art in the future. You know, self-reflection, I think, is the biggest thing that you can have as an artist. And if you're able to do that and really understand not only when you've provided a good to the world, you know, giving yourself credit is a great thing, but also recognizing the other side of the coin as well. You know, recognizing that maybe you didn't perform the best in this situation. While she didn't, doesn't sound like she went out of her way in this song to be an asshole, she just wasn't available. You know, right. and I think the understanding that the timing was bad, the universe just didn't work out on this one. Like nobody's really to blame here, but it still sucks. You know, and I think that's I think the acknowledgement of all of those things is why she's such a great songwriter to be able to put all of those things in there because that's a complex thing to try to explain. You know, that in in a three or four minute song, but she manages to find a way to do it. And make it a bop at the same time. You know, I think that's why she sets herself apart. You know, there's a million indie artists. You know, there's a million of them. We've talked about a ton of them. But the level that Mitski is on is a different level. I mean, she's up there with like the Phoebe Bridgers of the world. Like she's on that echelon of indie artist. And for me, her greatest talent is that gift for self-reflection and then not immediately turning it out as like, well, I'm the only one that's feeling this in a very unique way, which she mm. obviously is. But she's way more interested in, again, letting us know she knows us, destigmatizing experiences we've all had. I, I don't want to go telling tales out of school, Jeff, but I consider myself something of a playboy. Uh, <laughs> But like I've I've 100% I'm such a fucking idiot. <laughs> I have 100% been that asshole before where you've got your heart set on something else or you're completely emotionally unavailable, but there's someone that's kind of like hanging on your every word and gesture and you don't mean to be a shithead, but you're shitty to them. Mm -hmm. And I regret doing that because, again, it's not intentional. It's just kind of a very human thing that we do. It's either the grass is greener or I'm not ready for love, whatever. And and kind of hurt begets hurt. You can kind of then put that other person in a shitty mind space for when they meet someone. Uh, uh, Fiona Apple, fetch the bolt cutters. Evil is a relay sport when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Like, galaxy brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't necessarily evil. This is just 
the conflict that comes out of figuring out who you are and what you want. So while Mitski's figuring that stuff out, she's like, oh, I bet people can relate to this because she doesn't hold herself above anyone. She would never describe mm-hmm. herself as a fucking genius. So she's like, well, if I'm experiencing this, everyone else must. So I'm just going to talk about it. And mm-hmm. that's what I love is, again, people will criticize her as being like, oh, she has disdain for her fans. And she, she, you know, holds everybody at an arm's length. It's like, no, again, I think she's trying not to make it about herself and hold herself above everybody. She's one of us. And that's how we relate to Mitski. And it's, mm-hmm. again, the most brilliant trick she plays with her music. One of us. One Google of us. Gobble, one, one of, of us. us. <laughs> yeah, this album, uh, for me, stream it 100%. Um, absolutely worth the wait. Um, if you're a Mitski fan, I think you're going to find so much to love about this one. There might, might be some new things for you to get used to, but overall, absolutely a Mitski, Mitski, Mitski album. And I thought it was a damn good one. Valentine, Texas, the first track, might throw you a little bit. It certainly did me. Stick with it. What are you fucking crazy? This is a big time stream. It. I, I would borrow a page from Tanner and say go buy it on yeah, vinyl. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm as soon as I can find it. Um, that one, Turnstile, are the two that I that I need to get my paws on. Apparently, the Turnstile album is like sold out everywhere. It's yeah. like back ordered everywhere. So if anybody, any of the listeners, if you see that that's in stock somewhere, you get at us, okay? And if you have something that you want to hear on the podcast whether it's on one of our youtube videos um whether it's a full podcast if it's a full album you let us know you can find us on instagram add out on that line on twitter add out on that line one on our youtube you could be among the next hundred subscribers because we've already surpassed a hundred subscribers we've got a bunch of reaction videos on there we've got a bunch of singles videos on there we've got every single podcast episode we've ever done on there so make sure you go check that out and subscribe. That's a great place to comment and tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you want us to like react to next. You know, anything new, like content wise that you want to see out of the podcast, you, you can let us know a multitude of places. You can even send us an email out on that line at gmail.com. If you're feeling frisky, go ahead and send that. Over. Alex, do you have anything to tell the people? I want to say... Party on, dudes, dudettes, and everybody in between, and be excellent to each other. Hell yeah. Until next time.